time ago, an American airplane dropped one bomb on Hiroshima. Ich bin ein Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this. The American people, I think, is good people. They are. They have not to charge with the guilty of all the lies. Cold War episode 41, Ray. Hola. Hola. <laughs> hello. Hello, Ray. How's it hello. going? Oh, it's going very good, Ray. <laughs> Still not getting turned on. See, uh, our old mate, the uh, uh, economics professor uh, on Facebook, Suggested that we should do uh, some of our shows without the swearing and the filth and right. the dirt so he can play it to his students. Okay. And I thought, yeah, no, nah, that sounds boring. <laughs> and if you, ed- if you just took a regular show and edited it, it probably wouldn't make any sense and it would resemble Swiss cheese if you took out all the bad stuff. So we considered, we could- we considered it. Yeah, we could, we could hire someone to just go through and bleep all the shows and put it out as a... PG version. It'd probably be like do 12 that. minutes long. Yeah, well, it'd be just to get a bleep it. It'd oh. just be all bleeps. Beep. And occasionally, um, yeah, yeah, some content. That's not, no, it fucking pisses me off when people say that. Listen, we are we are 99% real content, 1% joking around. Right. Seriously. It just gets a lot of attention. Yeah, yeah. I, I edit the shows. I know how much is joking around in music and how much is serious content. Anyway... So when we finished last time, uh, Stalin was fingering Pooh Bear no. uh, down his pants. <laughs> and... but, but it was consensual, so it was okay. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. I was just going to say, so they, they agree to take a short break after they all agree that they're going to turn over the um, question of the two republics joining the United Nations. They've taken a short break. They come back. FDR is not quite giving up, and he goes into his own long speech. And, and it's pretty brilliant. What he does is he gives this long speech about Iran. Um, he's not really saying anything, but what he's trying to do is put distance in between the idea that Molotov has put out that the d- dominions of the British Empire are the equal of the Soviet Republic. So he just wants to talk and get an eye and, and just talk long enough to maybe everybody forget that that was said and to get some distance between them two, because he has not given up. He is still thinking about one nation, one vote. And that's the message that he's getting from his support team. So he blabs on for a little while, just trying to hopefully everybody forgets what was said earlier that day. Yeah, talking about Iran, and Pooh Bear um, just basically can barely contain his anger he's, at this stage, even after having a break and going and eating some honey. He's getting redder, or pinker, and pinker. <laughs> According to Lord Moran's diary, Though we have moved a long way since Winston, speaking of Roosevelt, said to me in the garden at Marrakesh, I love that man, <clears throat> he is still very reticent in criticism. It seems to be dragged out of him against his will. And with half a chance, he will tell over dinner how many divisions the Americans had in a particular show against our handful and how their casualties in that engagement dwarfed ours and things of that kind. So although the love affair between Frank and Pooh was waning, Pooh Bear was still looking for to say nice things about him whenever he could he wasn't one of those ex-girlfriends that just talks shit about you behind your back. You know a bit about that, I think, Ray? Yeah, a bit. <laughs> but Stalin, of course, had picked up on the lover's tiff, as we said in the last episode, and he is carefully exploiting it at every opportunity. Um, apparently, uh, later that night after the session, he uh, went up, sidled up to Frankie, uh, squatted down, 
because he's in his wheelchair, of course. No. <laughs> told him. Told him. He is. See, I mean, that's how you you have to get down. You have to, like, take a knee when you're going to talk to Roosevelt. Uh, or pull up a chair, maybe. And he told him that it wasn't only the Ukraine where he needed to mollify people, but even back home in Moscow, mm-hmm. he wasn't sure he could convince the Politburo to join the UN unless they got more votes. He's still playing the whole... Do me a solid in right. return Domestic tactic politics, here. But, yeah. but the thing to remember, I think, is that at this stage, no one really knew if he was bullshitting or not. Remember George Keenan's memo that I read um, a while back, a few episodes ago, uh, from around about this time. And he was talking about how Stalin was a complete mystery to everyone in the West. In, in the 20 or so years that Stalin's been running things in Moscow, no one's really spent much time with him. Churchill had had a couple of meetings with him uh, after, you know, the, the the fucking Barbarossa, but before that, no countries in the world had any, or none of the major democracies had any diplomatic relations with him until 1933 when Roosevelt created some. But then it, you know, kind of didn't get very far because mm-hmm. Stalin was in the middle of the purges, and then they did the deal with the Nazis, and so. No one really knows what's going on very well over there. So when Stalin says, look, you know, I'm on pretty thin ice back home in Moscow, I've got to tell you, man, like, uh, I can't convince these fucking guys to do anything. You know, oh, yeah. man, they're just so difficult. They they, they, they they suspect that he's bullshitting, but they don't really know. Yeah. And by the way, it's the same argument they're playing against him. We need this back home, the whole Polish thing. Uh, so he's just playing it right back at them. And it's hard for them to say no to that argument coming from him and then expect him to say yes in return. Yeah, I mean, yeah because he's, he's sitting there saying, I need the extra votes uh, or the Politburo back home is going to get pissed off. So who, who knows what's true? And here's the other thing. He has got such, you know, obviously because of the war, but there is such a veil over Soviet-occupied territory. They really don't even know what's going on in Poland. They're suspecting. They're getting word. You know, there's word coming to London, to uh, to Churchill. But again, who knows what's, re- what's really going on. But Statinius is starting to think that these days' events are starting to get to FDR. And because uh, so, FDR even says to him at one point, from the standpoint of geography and population, he did not believe that there was anything preposterous about the Russian proposal for two extra votes. Again, we're going to have six. British, the Britain's going to have five, maybe six if India comes in. We're going to have China theoretically on the Security Council because we're, we're, we're banking Chiang Kai, backing Chiang Kai-shek. Give the guy two extra votes. How bad could it be? But obviously we're going to find out what happens later on. Yeah, he said, after all, there's going to be 50 votes in the General Assembly. Two votes. <laughs> what difference can two votes mean? By the way, and... The real power is going to be in the Security Council anyway, where every country only gets one vote. And, come on, the Russians have compromised down from 16 republics down to two in the General Assembly. And eh, Molotov never claimed the Ukraine is completely independent, but neither really are the British Commonwealth countries. So that's Roosevelt basically making an argument to steady. Talking himself into it. Yeah, well, it sounds like he's pretty talked into it he's trying to convince his his senior oh, advisors right. let's 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 give him this come on now but let's give him this i'm sorry before we move on between you and me i don't think stalin ever wanted i don't think stalin ever predicted that those 16 republics would get in of course you demand that they all get in as as a negotiating as a starting point he, he knows that's not going to happen so for these guys to be impressed he went from 16 to 2 to me, they should not be as impressed as they are. Well, I guess, but, you know, it is what it is. That was their negotiating position. Now they've changed That's it. True. So they've given up something. Whether or not they expected to get it or not is a, a different issue. Um, on February 8th, so the next day when <clears throat> Big Joe arrived for his lunch date with Frankie Nolegs, the press told him that the foreign ministers had met that morning and agreed to accept the two extra countries into the General Assembly. <gasps> so, <laughs> so there's lots of backslapping, you know, ball cupping, tongues, the whole deal again. 
Um, good timing for Roosevelt because that day he wants to be talking about getting Russia involved in the war with Japan and he wants him on side. And just like Stalin had used his acceptance of the Security Council voting uh, method to soften up FDR for a discussion about Poland, now Frank is using this news to soften up Joe about Japan. So classic negotiation tactics. <clears throat> give somebody what they want just before you're about to ask them for something they don't want to give you. Only problem, <laughs> only problem. Tiny problem. Is tiny problem. Is that the foreign ministers actually hadn't agreed on that <laughs> at all. Roosevelt's just making shit up. Yeah, oh my God. Because yeah, Now, yeah, before go we... Before, sorry, before we were talking about that, I picked up one thing that I had missed before. Steady, big steady, Statinius. Right. Do you know what his full name his full name was? Oh, shit. No. Edward Riley Statinius oh, Jr. Born troublemaker. He's a Riley, an R-E-I-L-L-Y Riley right. too, like the real way of spelling. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so distant relation... To me, uh, Edward Riley Statinius Jr. Um, sorry, yeah. Now I was just going to say. Then he said he said uh, at the foreign ministers' meeting that uh, had been held earlier in the day that the US were favourable towards it, but it needed more consideration. But even that wasn't the full story. Yeah. So, so just that. So here's FDR, you know, pretty much going for it. Statinius is holding off, that kind of thing. And so, again, remember at Dunbarton Oaks, one nation, one vote. So um, so they're trying to talk about this. And, and Molotov is, is trying to say, let's, let's just make a statement saying that we think that the two, uh, two nations should be brought in. And Statinius shoots that down right away. And, and Molotov is like, look. If, if this is the way it's going to be, maybe we should be honest with everybody and report to the world that we don't have an agreement. So he's threatening to ruin the entire reputation of Yalta, trying to pressure Statinius into this. And even though Statinius has got to fight his own president, his own leader, he's trying not to. He's trying not to give in. He says, look, I just want this very serious question to have its due consideration and it would be best if we waited until the first meeting of the general assembly let them hash it out because that way it's got all the um the power and the authority that comes with the decision from the united nations wouldn't that really be awesome and of course molotov doesn't like that at all and so eden jumps in and eden says we this is a very serious topic we should put this back in the conference let them work it out and molotov and that's when molotov says yeah we should put it back in the conference but let's tell them that we agreed that the two or three republics should be joined, should, should be allowed to join, but that gets shot down. So again, Statinius is fighting this, um, but he really does feel that, um, that FDR is going to give into it, but he's fighting the fight, stalling as long as he possibly can to give him time to work on his own president, to work on his own leader, to change his mind. Well, it seems to me that at this point, in the American contingent, FDR is favourable towards giving the Soviets two votes. We know that Churchill is. Um, right. But FDR's got himself in a situation where some of his most senior advisors, including Hopkins and Burns, are dead against it. Mm -hmm. Plus, he'd already said back home to Congress, there's no way we're going to let the Soviets uh, get more than one vote in Yalta. And if I'll eat my hat <laughs> and I'll get, I'll get all of the states... In the GA, so we have we have the fifty-two votes. Um, so he he can't go he can't go back now and right. go. Oh, well, actually, Stalin out negotiated me and you know, gave him the votes. All right, <laughs> he convinced me. He's going to look like a dickhead. So so FDR is fighting his own guys yeah. on this, and he can't. Even though he's the president, and at the end of the day, it's his decision that matters. He can't just do what he wants willy nilly. He has to at least take the advice of the State Department and his senior advisors and the, the people back home, mm -hmm. of course, voting and elections and all that kind of stuff that, that, that he needs to think about in the future. Um, but one guy who was dead against the Soviets having these two republics in the GA, who is perhaps surprising, was certainly surprising to me, I don't know about you, Ray, mm -hmm. was Alja Hiss. <clears throat> Doesn't he have a nighttime job? 
He does have a nighttime <laughs> job, yes, as we've talked briefly earlier. Uh, for people who don't remember the name, um, Hiss is a member of the US delegation at Yalta. He turns out to be uh, the main focus of one of the biggest uh, anti-communism trials in America in the 50s. Uh, he's accused of being a Russian spy. And uh, as, I, as I said in an earlier episode, uh, Richard Nixon came to fame. He was a junior congressman at the time who really led the hearings with Joe McCarthy on this and um, sort of became famous for, for his anti-red trials and hiss was the, the biggest of that, the most notable case that um, he was pushing because Hiss was a senior member of the uh, US government, was at Dumbarton Oaks, he's at Yalta, and if he turned out to be a, a Russian spy, that was a, a huge deal. It's kind of what like what's going on in the US today <laughs> with uh, all these accusations that members of the Trump administration are working with or for the Russians. So it was a really big deal, and as... We then, you know, as I think I said earlier in, in a previous episode, Hiss denied it for his entire life. And then after he died in his 90s, I think, um, and the Soviet archives opened up, we found out that he actually was a spy. Yeah. <laughs> but here he is at Yalta arguing against the Russians having access. He was already a spy at the time. <laughs> Uh, and he's arguing against Russia having more. He wrote a big memo on it. Um, and for one reason, he said, look, the, these other republics, Ukraine, Belarus, haven't even signed the United Nations Declaration. Right. So we can't be inviting them in. They, they're not even on paper agreeing to everything. But he was basically being ignored. Um, now, that might have led him to become more of a spy. But it's just that I, I couldn't figure out, and I, I should get a bio on him and, and read it. We will later on when we get into his case, I guess. But mm -hmm. I couldn't figure out why, on one hand, he's a, a spy for the Russians. On the other hand, he's arguing vehemently against this. Like, you would think if you're a spy, maybe you wouldn't argue for it in support of it. Maybe you'd just take a neutral stance on it. But he was adamant that they shouldn't have more than one vote. Well, but you're right. Statinius was against it. James Burns was against it. And Burns was a very powerful person. He had been a governor. He had been, in, I think, in the Senate. And he'd also been an associate justice of the Supreme Court. So this guy had actually been in all three branches. And he was dead set against it. I think, basically, Hiss was also against it as well. One is cover Two, knowing that whatever he thought or whatever wouldn't um, wouldn't really matter, it would just be a good cover for him. Because when Molotov comes in and says, you know, we've agreed to let the uh, the other Repu the Soviet republic republics in, Hiss stands up right away and says, that's not true, that's not true. And Anthony Eden says, you don't know what has taken place. So again, like you said, Hiss has written this paper uh, that Statinius, for whatever reason did not use it. He took it with him to the foreign ministers meeting. But as far as we can tell, he, he did not, he did not use it. But again, here's, here's Statinius against it. Hiss is against it. But you just get the sense that FDR, I don't know if he's getting tired, whatever, but he's given way and, and Stalin is making some very good arguments, especially comparing the republics to the, to the dominions. But again, it's only two more votes and these countries have sacrificed and bled almost more than anybody else. Give them some Thing. So the bottom line here is that the foreign ministers had not agreed to it, but FDR tells Stalin they have agreed to it. God. Just makes it up. Or he just makes an executive decision. But he didn't even say that. He didn't say, look, um, you know what, they couldn't reach an agreement, but fuck it, man. Like, just do we're this. bros. Bros, yeah. bros before foreign ministers, this man. Pump. Like, uh, yeah, let's yeah, fucking oh look, you've worn me down. Oh look, you know, you seem like a nice young fella. You've got a nice smile, nice big furry mustache. Um, I could get lost he, in that. He, he just, uh, you know, I saw the smile Pooh Bear had in his face when you had his, your hand down the back of his pants. Like you won you me know. over. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I mean, it's kind of astounding here. Hard to really unpack what happened. None of the books that I read in my research could really explain what the fuck happened here. And it caused a lot of shit later on, like in Burns's <clears throat> memoirs like years later and Statinius's memoirs years later, 
they blamed each other for this. Uh, this this didn't go unnoticed. Right. That uh, you know FDR uh, agreed to this when it hadn't been agreed to at all. Anyway, too late. He's fucking said it. It's done. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't matter what happens once FDR says we've we uh, you're in. Yeah, they're in because he was the holdout. I mean, yeah, yeah. So then the plenary dis- uh, session for February eighth opened, and and FDR said. The foreign secretaries could report complete success, and I wish to congratulate them on their work and to ask Mr. Eden to report to the conference. Um, Again, total fabrication. And can you just imagine the faces of the foreign ministers at this plenary (laughs) session sitting around the table, and they're like, what? (laughs) (laughs) What? What just happened? What? What? Hey, did you tell? No, I didn't. Tell, did, did you? Steady. Steady. Did he did have his pill? Did you give the president his pill? Because he got some of those words wrong. Statinius had to be sitting on his hands. Oh, my God. So there's just this round of like stunned silence and shock. Burns in his memoirs wrote, I was surprised at the agreement, which, in my opinion, was very unwise. Oh, yeah. And as I said, he blamed Steady, but it wasn't Steady's doing either. It was all FDR. Right, because Burns and Statinius actually battle it out in their memoirs. And Statinius, like you just said, he comes back with, he goes, it was FDR's yes. It wasn't my yes. I didn't give a fucking yes. It came from the top. And that just, that seems to be the truth. That seems to bear out. Again, what do you do when the boss has made a decision and he was the last holdout? This is now a done deal. And Burns, uh, uh, his anger at this carries right through through Potsdam. And, um, you know, we will see. Just remember this, that in later episodes, remember we've talked about how FDR promised Burns he was going to be his next vice president, mm-hmm. but then he shafted Burns and put like uh, Harry Truman right. on the ticket instead. So Burns was cranky, and then FDR invites him anyway to Yalta, but just is like a, a, a <laughs> as the world turns. What do you call? But, what, what do you call it when you like when you get the booby prize? I guess the booby prize. Yeah. I guess that's it. But see, the, um, the drama's not done yet. The drama is not done yet because Eden is about to speak because it's his turn to speak before the before the plenary session. Okay, keep going. Okay, so Eden gets up there and he says, um, "I want to make it very clear we're all very excited about this. However, but meanwhile, the invitation." to those two republics will not come from the big three, but from the delegates of the future UN founding conference. So as soon as we have our first meeting, the delegates themselves will invite those two in, but they cannot go in. So not only the Americans shocked that, that, you know, that uh, FDR had made the decision without him, but now it turns out that, it's almost not a decision. So the Americans are shocked and confused. Burns is pissed off, but also Stalin is not happy because this is nothing more than a half measure. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We've done, we've gone through all this and now you're telling me yes, but it's a conditional going to happen in the future. Yes. By someone else, because it means less. If you get invited by the big three, you're a founding member. If you have to wait for the first meeting to get together and then you're invited by the delegates you're not a founding member Stalin wants these two republics to be fucking founding members and he is not done with this fight yet but he doesn't bring that up immediately right he brings up other issues that he has He's smart now the the first is that there are going to be about 10 countries in the United Nations that don't even have diplomatic relations with the USSR <laughs> He's like, how can we discuss international issues with countries that won't even talk to us? Right. So that's a good question. And he says, also, there are countries like Argentina and Turkey in the UN who never even declared war on Germany, <clears throat> never shed any blood. Why the fuck did they get to be in the UN? Yeah. When they've done, they've done nothing. And the UN, again, was supposed to just be, be made up of the allies initially. Um, so... You know, how the fuck is that fair? Yeah. And interestingly here, Frankie, through his former Secretary of State, (laughs) Sumner Wells, old black threesome, under the bus. 
He said, well, look, Sammy, look, let's be honest. Sammy, old family friend, but uh, his judgment, as we saw with the whole black threesome on a train. Not top thing, shelf. You know, <laughs> Not top shelf. He liked, he liked to drink. What can I say? Uh, <clears throat> he, um, and he had issues. Black gay threesomes. I mean, like, not that there's anything wrong with that, but on a train, really, when you're on official business. Exactly. Uh, it's all about timing. Probably. It's all about timing. Anyway, he said that Summy, when he was the second state, told the Latin American countries that it'd be good enough just to break off diplomatic relations with the Nazis and they didn't have to declare wars. That's really Summy's fault. Yeah. Summy, Summy said to the Latins, uh, the, the Latins, look, we have a lot going on this week. You know, we have, the, the, we have to do the, the, the thing in Rio and we have, uh, we have all of this and uh, we, we don't have a time at the start of the war. What the fuck accent is that? I don't even know what that is. Uh, Oh, I should do it for Latin America. I do, I do my Scarface. Uh, <laughs> oh, hey. Yeah. Hey, Chabron. Hey, you cockroach. <laughs> we, we don't have time. We don't have time to declare war on the Nazi. We, yeah. Uh, he goes, oh, just break off diplomatic. Okay, we can break off <laughs> that diplomatic we can do. relations. That we can do. <laughs> I say a lot of my little diplomatic relations break off. Anyway. Terrible. So FDR's motto here was the buck stops just over there there. uh, where Summy, where where Black Threesome's having his Black Threesome's. Over there is where the buck stops. Don't look at me. Don't don't look at me. It wasn't me. It was Summy. It wasn't he sick as well. Several of them had died prematurely. I think he might have been. Anyway, hard life. You know, he was born in the wrong times. Anyway, we wish him well. So, Summy Wells. Hard life. He was what, like born rich. Remember, he was Rose. He was Roosevelt's like, <clears throat> and his wedding is like the page boy or something. He was uh, he was rich elite man. He yeah. was the grand nephew of Mrs. Astor. Right. No. The yeah. the Mrs. Astor who famously said to Winston Churchill, <laughs> Mister Churchill. You are drunk and obnoxious, and he said, yes, Mrs. Astor, but you are ugly, and in the morning I will be sober, but you will still be ugly. <laughs> it's true, though. I think, it's facts. I think that's how the story goes. Yeah, yeah that's how it goes, yeah. Um, yeah, he, uh, he didn't die until 1961, man, so, so he had a bit of life left in him. Yes, so FDR is like, look, I've written to all those presidents that are going to vote the way I want them to, um, asking them their... Wait, 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 yep. wait, 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 wait. Oh. These independent countries right. who have membership in the United Nations because they do whatever they want, they're going to vote because he tells them to. Yeah. <laughs> the, the Latin countries. He has written to all of them and asking them to declare war, and you know those are the ones that he's counting on their votes in the United Nations. Come on. The Latin countries. Anyways, so he's asking them that, that to declare war, which he is sure they're going to do any day now. Certainly should have it done by February. He was pretty sure of that because, you know, he asked them personally. So that was a technicality. We're taking care of it now, but obviously that's a very pathetic answer to come back at Stalin with. Well, you know that Stalin's making the point here. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh so these independent countries are going to declare war on Germany just because you tell them to. <laughs> they're, so, they're not going to help. They're just going to write something how, on a piece of paper. Well, the the point is that how independent are they really? You're telling them to declare war, so they declare war, really. Technicality. We're not allowed to have two more votes, but you can tell countries to declare war on Germany, and they will. <laughs> and they're independent. So he's just, you know, he's making the point, I think. Yeah. And um, by the way... You know, it doesn't matter much declaring war on Germany in February 1945. I could declare war on Germany in February 1945. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You might as well declare war on the Nazis now. It's the same thing. You know? Yeah. Had <laughs> as much use as that was then. So then, anyway, Big Joe presses on. He says, look, he gets back to this issue of Ukraine and Belarus. He goes, all right, well, look, can we at least mention them by name? in the record of the foreign minister's meeting that, you know, we discussed and we were favourable towards it. You know, because it had really helped me back home because, you know, I'm under a lot of pressure. And they say, all right, you can mention them by name. Then Molotov says, well, look, if we can mention them by name. (laughs) 
<laughs> Again, it's a one-two negotiating tactics. It's a one-two. Brilliant. Yeah. Well, it's like get them to you know. Yeah, as you know, I used to be in sales, mm-hmm. and um, and uh, and I read lots of books on negotiating and sales tactics. And a classic sales tactic is you, when somebody's saying no to you, is you get them to say yes to something, right? Like, do you love your wife? Yes. And there, there, there are good. Um, proven psychological reasons for this. Mm-hmm. Uh, you read that book on influence by that guy, his name I can't recall, Tony Kay got me reading recently. Um, when, when you get somebody to say yes to something, when they agree to something, things happen in their brain chemically that uh, make them more predisposed to say yes to things that you ask them later on. So if you can guess, if you can get them to agree with you, it also makes them like you a little bit if they agree with you right. because we have... Uh, 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 hundreds of thousands of years of, of uh, evolutionary biological conditioning to get us to like people that we agree with, people that think the same as us and believe the same as us and have the same beliefs as, as us. We like them, and people who have different beliefs or think differently, we don't like them because, you know, back in olden days, they were probably the enemy tribe. Speaking of which, I've got a really great negative review to read at the end of this episode. Don't let me forget. All right. Um, <clears throat> so they're, they're asking little things. They're getting they're getting the UK and the USA to agree on little things. Can we mention? All right. Can we just mention their names? All right. Just you can the mention their names. Just the tip. That's exactly what it is. Can I just put the tip in? Can I just can I just cup your boob inside your dress? That's, that's all, all I want. I just I walk outside away outside of the bra. I walk away. Yeah. That's <laughs> I walk away. <laughs> It says like my first day with Heather. Go ahead. Yeah. Before you know it, you got a DPing with the homeless black dude. But, you know, it starts, you got to start gentle. You got to slide in there. Who then moves into your house? That's D'Angelo. Um, uh, <laughs> so many memories. So, so then Molotov picks it up and says, well, look, what, what if we got the Ukraine and the Belarus to sign the UN declaration before the end of the month, we, could we mention them then if they signed up? Like, just give us the paperwork. They'll, they look not that they do everything we tell them to do. Don't, don't get that idea. Yeah. No, no, but, no. We can ask them. Uh, yeah, like surely she wants to DP with the homeless black guy. That's you know. I mean, I'm, it's not that we're going to talk her into it, right. but, but who doesn't want to do that? Right. <laughs> Try at least just once. Just so you can say you've done it. Bucket list. So you're a facilitator. You know? So they're facility. Look, you want to do it. I'm helping you get there. But yeah, so so it's brilliant. Let's get him to sign it because this is what his had written in his notes that no one seems to fucking read. That they haven't even signed the declarations about um, all the different rules and the conditions, and obviously, you know, being independent of that kind of thing. So here they're trying to chip away at the reasons you wouldn't let them in, and they're doing it rather brilliantly. But, however, Churchill steps into the fray one more time and he's sitting here and he goes to take in small countries who have done so little simply by the expedient of their declaring war and to exclude the two soviet republics from the meeting he had very much in mind the martyrdom and sufferings of the ukraine and white russia because he was in favor of limiting the list of countries invited to the conference to just the Allies. But if others were to be added, then why not include the two Soviet republics as well? And I think he might have wept a little. Yeah, that was because Stalin still had his hand down the back of his trousers, but uh, it was happiness. It was effective. Happiness and joy. It was effective speech-making. So... So so Frankie is being boxed in here. He's got Stalin, Molotov, and Pooh Bear. Coming at him. All going, come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Ju- come just on. Just let him in. Come on. Come on. Just the tip. Just the tip. Just his tip and my tip <laughs> in the two holes. Like, we won't go any further. We won't penetrate. Just And uh, <laughs> and he's, he's still putting up his defenses saying, you know, look, I would love to help you out, guys, but uh, we still got this big issue right. of one of the great powers having three votes instead of one. But at least he was a little bit honest that he could have lied, he could have bullshit, but it comes down to a little bit of truth. I'm sorry, we can't have one country having three votes. That's not fair. So I admire is probably desperation, but at least he was a little bit honest with his, with his answering Stalin's question. 
Well, yes and no. I mean, I think the real reason here is he's going to get bitch slapped by his own uh, contingent right. and, and back home if he gives in too easily on this. Sure. Uh, because as we've already said, he's got Latin America. He's got China yeah. in his camp. He knows the Brits have got the Commonwealth countries. So this whole one country, one vote thing is kind of bullshit. <laughs> I mean, there's an element of truth in it because maybe the Latin American countries, maybe the Commonwealth countries have more independence because they've been around longer yeah. and they've established themselves longer than the Soviet republics. But at the end of the day, everyone, according to Churchill's own fucking letter <laughs> to Clement Attlee, right. know that they're going to vote uh, as a block. So, you know, I don't think FDR's being honest here. I think he's still bullshitting. And I think everyone knows it. But that's the way you play the yeah, game. Yeah, the know, appearance of honesty. No, and no one can come out and say frog shit, uh, Mr. President. You know, that's you can't. You, as soon as you start calling bullshit, it all breaks <laughs> to down. To their face, yeah. yeah, it all breaks down. So diplomacy is the act of calling bullshit in subtle ways uh, without actually saying, "I don't believe you. You're full of shit." Yeah. Um, so anyway, Joe drops the subject because he's not getting anywhere. FDR is adamant that he can't uh, give in. And later that day, Frank gets it from his senior team from making any concession, even the concession that they will be let in right. later on. Um, they drill him. They but- do DP him. Most effectively. <laughs> yeah, Burns and Hopkins. I wonder which was top and which was bottom. And Admiral Lee. Um, and Admiral Lee, that's right, yeah, who was his uh, chief of FDR's chief of staff. Mm-hmm. So they're all just sticking it to him. And Burns again reminds FDR of his promise to the American senators that he would push them all, he'd push for all of the American states to join the UN if Stalin pushed for the admission of the Soviet republics. He pointed out that the US didn't join the United, uh, sorry, the League of Nations 26 years earlier. Mm-hmm. Because one of the main reasons has, had been their concern over the vo- voting rights of the British Dominions. Right. So this isn't a new problem. This problem went right back to the League of Nations. And now, Byrne says, the same argument is going to be used by opponents in the American Congress uh, of joining the UN. Well, look, it's not fair. They're going to have multiple votes. We're only going to have one vote, plus the Latin American countries. But we don't mention that because right. we like to pretend that they're independent. Um <laughs> And, and Burns and Hopkins both tried to convince Frank to withdraw his support for the proposal of the two extra countries unless the United States also got three votes in the General Assembly. Hell yeah. Team America, fuck yeah. We'll give it to you as long as we get more, thereby cancelling out any advantage you would have. And what was Frank's response to them? I love this. Oh, yeah. Oh, 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 no. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, you know what? Here's, here's what I'm going, I promise, I'm going to talk to Stalin about this very thing sometime in the future. Uh, Joe drops the subject, yeah, and FDR, after he's getting grilled, says, uh, look, what? Uh, yeah, okay, I'll bring it up with him later. Just fucking get off my back. Literally, I'm in get a wheelchair. off my back. Like, yeah, I'm in a wheelchair. It's very uncomfortable with you on my back. DPing me in a wheelchair. <laughs> Not on. Not cool, man. Not cool. <clears throat> so um, Lord Moran again wrote that uh, Harry Hopkins complained to him, the president seems to have no mind of his own. Mm. He came to Yalta apparently determined to oppose any country having more than one vote. But when the PM came out strongly in favour of Stalin's proposal, Roosevelt said he too would support Stalin. Now, this coming, I mean, secondhand from Lord Moran, but coming from Harry Hopkins, yeah. I mean, that is astounding. Hopkins is Roosevelt's closest right. advisor. I mean, Burns is a big advisor, but Harry Hopkins and he, you know, go way, way, way yeah. back. He, He's his he knows fucking his man. Yeah. Harry, and I'm a big fan of Harry Hopkins. I mean, I, I read a bio on Harry Hopkins 25 years ago when I was in my early 20s and, um, the stuff that he did with FDR, creating the Works Commission and all that kind of stuff, mm. how together they pulled the country out of the Depression um, by getting people back to work, all of that. Works Administration, that's, that's what you call it, wasn't it? The WA, Works Administration? Like, yeah. Anyway, 
I mean, amazing, amazing guy. Very, very, very. He's like his gripper. He's FDR's a gripper, Harry Hopkins. And here who he is saying the president seems to have no mind of his own. So, as you said, he knows he knows FDR probably better than anyone. And for that to be his summation right. of where Frank's at at Yalta, yeah, that that has to carry uh, a fair amount of weight. Now, to me, when Statinius gives his opinion that when FDR <clears throat> changes his mind, it shows to him how sharp he still is. He's playing the game. He's listening. He's deciding on his own or whatever. I think that's more Statinius just trying to cover up crab, maybe be positive, whatever, throw some smoke or whatever. But uh, so Satinius thinks that his that FDR is wheeling and dealing like he always does, and that to him, the F, the, the president still got it. So his good, close friend thinks he's starting to lose, and here's someone who would benefit, <clears throat> excuse me, would benefit from, you know, throwing some smoke because he's trying to cover up his actions, uh, thinking that the president's still sharp. So, again, I, I think I think Harry Hopkins is, is closer to the mark, which is so unfortunate because you and I have said on this show, if FDR could have lived a little longer, uh, he and Stalin could have, uh, you know, I don't know, worked, at least tried maintaining the peace a little longer. Who knows? It's It's very unfortunate for all of us. Yeah, Steady wrote, Throughout this give and take, his mind functioned with clarity and conciseness, furnishing excellent proof that he was alert and in full command of his faculties. And, you know, I, I, I kind of want to believe that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I want to believe that this is all him just being a cunning negotiator because right. I have no doubt that in his day, FDR was a master at... Uh, being able to, to, you know, we talked about, I think, when we did the mini buy on him back in the early part of this series, he was known for being able to get people from both sides of the political divide into his cabinets and to support his vision and his agenda. He was a master, I think, at that game. Yeah. And I'd like to think that that's what he's doing here. But um, when Harry Hopkins says he's lost it, yeah. then... Because know, FDR hard, loved playing the game. Yeah, but if your best friend, not best friend, but someone who knows you intimately, you know, he's one of his intimates, says you're losing it, <sighs> who are we to say otherwise? But here's the thing. Yeah. FDR is pissing off everybody, in his, almost everybody in his camp. But because of the decisions they've made, because of the um, the votes that are, you know, the oral votes that they're giving now, the UN is about to be breathed into life. I mean, this shit is real. And now here is FDR pissing off his team. So there are severe consequences for for every, what everybody's saying, what all the decisions they're making, the UN is about to become real. It's right down the road, and there's you know already tension between FDR and Churchill and FDR and Stalin. So that does not bode well for the future. But FDR is getting what he wanted most of all. It looks like the United Nations organization is about to be pushed out of the baby shoot, <laughs> uh, and that will be his enduring and. Honestly, it is his enduring legacy. And for all of the flaws with the vetoes and the Security Council and all of that kind of stuff, at least he created the very first organization that brought the world together. In some ways, it reminds me of the League of Corinth mm-hmm. um, uh, and, and some of those you know, uh, international um, bodies that existed back in ancient Greece. But this is certainly far more encompassing with a, a bold vision. Yes, it's flawed, it's imperfect, but um, it's the closest thing we've ever had to creating a, a forum to bringing the parties of the representatives of the governments of the world together to mm-hmm. discuss their issues. And, and, and that's a, I think if we remember FDR for anything, it should be... Well, for helping defeat the Nazis in World War Two, and for creating the United Nations, I mean, he also created the atomic bomb, and yeah, <laughs> and really, that's kind of on his shoulders as well. He he started uh, the the thermonuclear threat, uh, existential threat that we all live under even today. But uh, anyway, I, I like to remember him for creating the United Nations, and that's what he has managed to do here. And he gave the United, he gave the Americans uh, during the Great Depression hope, 
and then practice and then through very practical steps put a lot of people to work and, and gave them benefits that they had not known before. So certainly gets us credit for that as well. Indeed. So let's go back to February 7th now. We're going to go jump back a day, back to day four, because we want to follow the Polish discussion a little bit further. So you may recall that in the last episode, we said that at the beginning of day four, um, Uncle Joe raised the issue of the love letter that he got from (laughs) Frankie with the hearts and the kisses and the perfume. But he said, look, I only got an hour and a half ago. Frank sent it to him the night before. And the meeting started at 4 o'clock the next day. He said, I only got it at 2.30, man. I mean, fuck, I know the mail is slow here, but uh, it's a war-torn country. I was able to get a lemon bush full of lemons delivered to you in less time than it took for your American mail service to get your letter from the Lavadia Palace to my dasher. But anyway, he said, look, I got it. I totally agree with you. Yes, we need to resolve the question of the Polish government. But we can't do it ourselves because, remember, we care about democracy. Me, Joe Stalin, (laughs) more than anyone, cares about democracy, particularly in Poland. Fucking love the Poles. Love them. Love them. Love a big poll. I really do. And I I want it to be democratic. So we really need to get the polls in Warsaw, the Lublin polls, uh, as part of this... I've, I've, I've tried to reach them by phone, but uh, I don't know, man. Their mobiles are switched off. Or They're something. out of service range. We can't get hold of them. Um, and even if we could, there's only three days left in the conference. I don't think we're going to be able to get them to fly to Yalta yeah. uh, in that amount of time. So maybe, maybe we should resolve this. I know I said I'm a big believer in democracy. But maybe we should resolve this here, now, just us, without the polls. Molotov has got a six-point plan. We've managed to get it translated into English. Eventually, we figured out how to, right. we figured out how to translate the word emigre from Russian into a Polish. It took a while. French, but, you know, we couldn't, we couldn't work out. We kept saying to people, what's English for emigre? <laughs> and then people kept saying emigrate. We go, really? You sure about it? no? That doesn't sound right. No, really, really. So that's where we got stuck. But yeah. we've just we've just kept the word in there. We just kept the word emigrate. You know, it's just going to have to be good enough. Yeah. yeah. Now because because FDR had had tried to come up with a with his own solution. Yeah. Because he agrees. You know, we got to work on this Polish thing. He and FDR is like, you know what? Clean slate. Let's forget the polls in London. Let's forget the polls in Warsaw. Let's form a brand new government. I think what we need is something new and drastic and poppy and hip. I don't know. It's like a breath of fresh air. Let's just scrap everything that's happened and let's start over. And like you said, that's when Stalin comes back. It says, I got your letter a half hour ago. You're right. Um, Believe it or not, me, Stalin, I couldn't get anybody on the phone. It's so embarrassing. Anyway, the point is, we got three days left. There's no way we can get them here in time. I think we should try to take a crack at this ourselves. However, I don't agree with your plan. I, I really appreciate it, but I don't agree with your plan about scrapping and starting over. I think it would be better to modify as opposed to recreate. So again, FDR tried again. He tried to wipe the slate clean and start over with the Polish government. Stalin shuts that down. They're going to have to do the best they can with what they've got. And they're going to solve it on their own without bringing the Poles into it. So Molotov's plan was, look, we, we can't just make a decision about the, 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 the Polish government here without the Poles. That would not be democratic. Tacky. No, we love the old democracy. So what we're going to do is we're going to suggest we have a meeting in Moscow after this where we basically invite some of the London Poles, or as he called it, some democratic leaders from Polish emigre circles, Ooh. and and we'll get the Polish government, the current Polish government, the Lublin government, the legitimate together, government. and the government, yeah, and the government in exile. And what we'll do is we'll we'll find a way to allow a few members of the London Polish government in exile to join up with the existing uh, government. So, so that's the Russian suggestion, and uh, Harry Hopkins passes Frankie a note saying, "Look, what fuck, this is too hard. Let's refer this to the foreign ministers." Um, and Roosevelt said, yeah, okay, let's uh, send that to the foreign ministers. Uh, but 
He and Churchill have a problem with the word emigre. Churchill's point was that, uh, well, you know, emigre, the term was coined after the French Revolution and, and, and people in Britain take it to mean people driven out of their country by their compatriots. Right. So after the French Revolution, sort of the, uh, the aristocracy were driven out of the country um, and uh, those people were known as the emigres. They were forced to emigrate out of the country. Uh, and he goes, well, that's not really fair to the London Poles. I mean, they were forced out by the Germans, not by their own people. He wanted to call them Poles temporarily abroad <laughs> or the PTA. Um, <laughs> but uh, so they, 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 but what I like is when Churchill started talking about this, Frank passed a note to Steady that said, now we're in for a half hour of it. <laughs> Yeah, so Churchill, oh, yeah, Churchill goes on and on and on. And so um, um, I, I don't know how much we want to rehash of that. Do, do you want to talk about that night when he writes the letter to Attlee? Uh, don't have that in my notes, so probably not, but you can if you want. Well, it was just interesting. Again, so uh, Churchill, is, he's writing to Attlee and he says, to answer the answer to Roosevelt's letter was put forward by the Russians today, Wednesday, and the good news is that it does not challenge in principle any of the broad issues. This means that this matter is by no means settled, but it is our plan to fight hard for a government in Poland which we and the United States can recognize and to which we can attract the recognition of the United of the United Nations. In return for this, we'll, we we uh, require real sub substantial and effective representation from the Polish element with whom we have been at present been associated with, you know, the, the London Poles and stuff like that. So if it can be arranged that eight or ten of these are included in the Lublin government, it would be to our advantage to recognize this government at once. So basically, if we can stick our guys in there, let's go ahead and, and, and say, yes, th this is the official government of Poland. Um, then he asked the War Cabinet to give him full freedom of action on this, um, on this matter, and he does get a yes from them. So Churchill is speaking for his country you know, the next day uh, when when he gets up there and he talks on February the 8th. So on February the 8th, they pick up the discussion about Poland. And just to remind people, the reason we're droning on about Poland still, after all these episodes, it was one of the major issues at the older conference. And as we will see later on, the, the um, failure to get agreement on Poland that everyone was happy with was one of the main reasons for the ignition of the Cold War. Mm -hmm. But um, anyway, so they start talking about Poland again. Um, and, you know, the US proposal was to have the meeting in Moscow where the Lublin and the London Poles would decide on collapsing the existing government and having completely free elections. Molotov gave that a hard no. He said, no, no, we need to keep the Lublin government, Lublin, Lublin, mm -hmm. and just admit some of the emigres. And then Pooh gets up and gives this long speech about how this would be unacceptable to the British people because, you know, they went to war for the London Poles and blah, blah, blah. By the way, I love honey. <laughs> and... And, and, of course, as we've mentioned before, Big Joe knew that uh, even Pooh Bear didn't get along with the London Poles, right. the Polish emigres. They they hated each other. The Poles hated the Brits. The Brits hated the Poles. Um, again, it's really all a matter of perception for the upcoming British elections. If If Churchill gives away the position of the London Poles too easily... And it's in the scene to be supporting a communist Polish government. His enemies back home will be able to use it against him in the election. He doesn't really give a shit about the London Poles or the Polish in general. Right. He just, just my take on it. Yeah, he just needs something. So, yeah, so like you said, the United States has a, a version of their idea. They, they think there should be a, a presidential council with three members. The British have their own plans, but Molotov... Speaking for Stalin, shuts them down. You're absolutely right. He says we should augment the current government, but we're not going to scrap and start all over again. 
And so, um, so Churchill jumps in and, um, and during his speech, he says, this is the crucial point of the conference. The whole world is waiting on this question. If not compromise, then we fail and nothing else we do here would overcome it. So this is like, and they, at least he's on enough to say it, what everybody's thinking. This is the big issue. If we can't agree on Poland, why we're currently allies fighting the common enemy, we never will. This is it and of course every time they come up with a suggestion Stalin and Molotov say no and you can't really fault them for that they are holding the cards they did free Stalin and all, they did free Poland and all of their troops are there currently and they are the ones who gutted the Germans so you got to give them something so so Churchill's like warning everybody hey if we fail here this is this is all anybody's going to remember that we failed over Poland but Molotov and Stalin are not giving in to them um, so we, we should stop. Interesting. Soon. I just want to throw that out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We're, we're, we're an hour in. Yeah, yeah. I know. Um, well, uh, let's finish with this. So, uh, I like Joe's position here. Joey says, look, the Lublin Poles, very, very popular in Poland. Very popular because they stayed and fought. The other guys in London ran away. Run Cowards, away. tails between their legs. So, People want to be governed by the people who stayed and fought. They are the true Polish patriots, the heroes. <clears throat> now, no one actually believes it because <laughs> they believe that the communist Polish government are very unpopular. Right. But no one else has been to Poland, so they really don't have any first-hand evidence. Everything that Churchill knows, he's getting from the exiles right. in London. So, you know, they can't provide any evidence that Stalin's wrong here. But that's not even Stalin's main point. His main point here is that as far as the, the legitimacy of the, the Lublin Polish government goes, it's as valid, if not more valid, than what's going on in France mm -hmm. with de Gaulle. You know, um, Molotov had made uh, had written a memo to his subordinates back in January where he said, Poland is a big deal, but we do not know how governments were organised in Belgium, France and Greece. No one asked us, although we do not say we are displeased with one or another of those governments. Yeah. Now, Stalin brings this up at Yalta. He says, look, neither the French government of de Gaulle or the Lublin government in Poland has been elected and he can't say which one enjoyed the greatest degree of popularity. Yet, we were all dealing with de Gaulle and the Soviet government concluded a treaty with him. Why should it be so different with regards to the Polish government? And why could we not deal with an enlarged Polish government? Ooh, mic drop. Yeah, but it's mic drop. And but he's absolutely correct. You, you free those countries. You set up governments. There's been no elections. I'm doing the same fucking thing. How is this different? Why are you giving me such beef? Yeah. He said, uh, you know, what's going on in Greece, Pooh Bear? Yeah. We haven't interfered with what's going on in Greece and the, form of the formation of a government in there. He said he had no intention of criticizing British policy there, but would merely like to know yeah. what was going on. Curious. Now, he, he reminded uh, Churchill that a few weeks earlier, the Soviets had turned a blind eye when the British had cracked down on the pro-communist forces in Greece. Remember, we did this whole thing about how they were supporting the king yeah. and the, the, the right-wing government there. Um, Churchill, uh, you know, didn't ask Stalin's permission. Stalin didn't interfere because the naughty agreement, the percentages agreement... He had, uh, Stalin had acknowledged British predominance in Greece. And he says, look, I'm keeping my nose out of Greece. Um, you keep your nose out of fucking Poland and we'll all be happy. Before the meeting closed up, Churchill was uh, obliged to acknowledge that he was, in fact, in debt to Stalin for keeping his nose out of Greece. He said the British had rather a rough time in Greece. And we were very much obliged to Marshal Stalin for not having taken too great an interest in Greek affairs. So, again, Joe making very fucking good points here mm -hmm. 
hard to argue with. And I guess that's where we're going to leave episode 41. Yeah. You had a review? I have two reviews. I'm going to read the negative one because it's just funny. And we haven't had one in a long time. In fact, I don't think we've had one on this show at all. This is our first negative review on the Cold War show, and it's a caucus. I'm going to read it. Congratulations Um, to us. (laughs) Thank you. Yes. Uh, From the United States, Pimple Popper 77, two stars. His title is When Liberalism Becomes Unhinged. Mm. The podcast provides an inside view of what makes an angry liberal. Actually, he's, no, he writes, what makes a angry liberal? I won't edit him to correct his grammar. <laughs> Failed families and a lack of a fulfilling education. Combined with failure later in life in businesses and their own failed attempt at our early family then use this as a crutch or flag to wave when it suits you. The episode on Stalin should be renamed Stalin's Apology Tour. I have listened to many of your podcasts in their many forms, spelled T-H-E-R-E. You have failed at owning and retaining a home and business. The podcasts are mediocre at best, but entertaining to listen to liberals become unhinged. You failed at everything else so far. Maybe you guys should try politics. By the way, BYE, by the way, try not to split hairs between failure applied to the couple. What? So, well, first of all, that's the. Uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. That's the level of criticism we get. <laughs> um, is that the end of the. Um... Yes, that is the end of the tirade. First of all, uh, quit reading my diary. That's rude. Okay, um, that that's that sounds like my uncle Buck, who went to the third grade but didn't master it. I'm not really sure what yeah. he's talking about, and is a big Rush Limbaugh fan. But I I could be totally wrong, and I respect his opinion. I respect his right to have an opinion, even though I don't agree with it. Well, then you don't respect his opinion. You respect the, his right to have an right, opinion. Right, that's what I meant, yeah. No, I, I disagree that I respect yeah. his right to and, have an opinion, and I uh, I don't concur. And I respect the amount of time that he took it, to somewhat convey some opinion there. It probably took two English. hours, so. Yeah. So thank you, Pimple Popper 77 Send us an email, email at, uh, <laughs> no, whatever, email at coldwar.com, and we will send you a thank you gift because I got a good laugh out of that. Um, the other review I want to read is, uh, this is also from the United States, Louise Skywalker, her review entitled, So, So Good. She must be a, an unhinged liberal. Right. Imagine if your two favorite history teachers were hanging out, drinking a bit of limoncello, and decided to give an uncensored, well-researched, and well-sourced account of the entire Cold War. That would be Cam and Ray's Cold War podcast. It comes complete with historical humor, swearing, dad jokes, and challenging your presumptions. Cam takes the lead, Ray adds in things, and they take the piss out of each other and play song clips as needed. <laughs> Skepticism and fact-checking are encouraged, as Cam tells us regularly, to not just take his word as truth and to go read a book about it. Speaking of which, I wish I'd started keeping a list of all the book recommendations that have been made since the beginning. Well, just on that, Louise, if you go up to a coldwar.com, you'll see a section of the site, which is the book recommendation section. It's a link to pretty much all of the books that... I'm reading for the show or have read for the show uh, links to them up on our Amazon store. So there you go. You can find them all up there. She continues. Furthermore, you can tell they genuinely care about their listeners and subscribers. Oh, did I mention they give free subscriptions to students? Thank you guys. Oh, Louise is a student. Lovely. I assume. I found Cam and Ray's Cobalt podcast while searching for podcasts discussing the Russian revolution, which was a current topic in my political ideologies class. Immediately, I realized I'd found a gem and backtracked to started listening from the beginning. And I've literally, I think there's a Ray joke there, been listening obsessively ever since. Now I'm finally getting around to leaving a review while cackling at their bio of Charles de Gaulle during World War I. Good old the 
big fucking – I pulled that out in a conversation the other day. I was having a conversation with someone somewhere, and they mentioned Charles de Gaulle. I went, oh, the <laughs> – did you know – I think, did you know – here's a funny story about Charles de Gaulle. Did you know that he ate his foot ointment? It was good. I got to use it in real, in real life. Good. As an American millennial, any facts about the Cold War that I learned came from a short, immemorable, Americanized overview of it in my high school history class, yeah. plus decades of cultural references from The Simpsons. I've been learning loads from Cam and Ray and have really enjoyed the time I've spent listening to them. I am so pumped that they're coming out with a current events podcast and the Renaissance podcast sounds incredible. Keep up the great work, guys. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Louise Skywalker. Um, we're not going to send you a thank you gift, though, because you've already got a free subscription. Um, but and, and just to remind like whenever a student asks us for a free subscription and I give it to them, I say, listen, write us, all I ask in return for this is write a review for us on iTunes. Yeah. And I don't know that many of them do. And I've been meaning to bring this up for a while. Oh, now, if you're, if you're... If you are surfing on the backs of our generosity here, listening to a free subscription, do the right thing. Leave us a review if you haven't already. Whichever show, with this show or one of the other shows, right. it's just just do the right thing. Yes, you know, please. just get do like do what Louise Skywalker did. Right. You'll sleep better. Do do the right thing. Leave us a review. Thank you. Um. Uh, well, let me read another one then. Who does deserve a, a, a reward? Who's this? Blah uh, blah 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 blah. Da, 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 da. I'm looking for one I haven't read. Uh, yeah, okay, Magic Sketch uh, makes podcasting great again from the United States again. Wonderfully cynical and a breath of fresh air. I'm an American duck and cover baby who can't get enough of this outsider's view of America. Any American with a brain and conscience would love to listen to this irreverent podcast. Okay, sure, short, but good, fine. Yep. Magic sketch. Thank you. Send us thank a you. Uh, email, email at a cobble.com with your address and we'll send you a thank you gift. Unless you're a freebie and then like, don't. But okay, you get that. Um uh, that's it. We're out. We'll be back with more Yalta next week. An iron curtain has descended across the continent. military buildup on the island of Cuba. The purpose of these bases can be none other than to provide a nuclear strike capability against the Western Hemisphere.